This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. And we're on. Hello, I'm Cerise Howard. I didn't expect to be co-hosting this evening. I'm a guest tonight. Um, I'm allowed to wear a couple of different hats. It's Triple R. Uh, it's my very great yes. pleasure to be here with um, my old pal, Stewie Richards. Stewie, I believe you are co-hosting. I am also co-hosting as well. Thank you, Cerise. And thank you, everyone. Welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This and this is and always will be Aboriginal land. So yes, I'm Stuart Richards. I'm filling in for Flick, zooming in from the lands of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. And yes, uh, joining me is my co-host and co-conspirator, uh, Cerise. Cerise, how are you doing? Stewie, it's a, it's a roller coaster ride as always. Um, you know, radio is one thing. Being a few days out from the opening night of a film festival, another. Put the two together, it can only be magic. Yes. Uh, so tonight, yes, we are talking about film festivals. Uh, first off, we'll be chatting to the wonderful folks from the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. We'll be chatting about um, their upcoming festival, which promises to be fantastic. Later on in the show, we will be chatting with guest reviewers Will Singleton and Sid Christie about films that they saw at the Adelaide Film Festival, and a few of them are playing at MQFF. First off, in the studio, we are joined by the CEO of Melbourne Queer Film Festival, David Martin Harris, and Program Director Cerise. Many listeners will be familiar with Cerise, who is a regular Primal Screen contributor. Uh, but David, thank you for joining us in the studio tonight. Thank you. I feel like I've entered Cerise's other work environment because she's also my co-conspirator and like partner in crime, but in a different office. So I feel very special being here. It's a real through the looking grass, grass, not looking Brunswick. grass. Sure, why not? <laughs> looking grass experience. Welcome to Brunswick. Yeah. Yeah, who knows where I am, when I am. So I thought uh, to begin the discussion about MQFF, uh, we'll get into the specifics in a moment, but one question I wanted to ask first is what do you both love about queer film festivals? Oh, well, um, I love the queerness, I love the films and I love the festivity. So, I mean, that's, that's obviously very simplistic, but that's um, a pretty winning combination. I love that it's an opportunity to be really steeped in queer culture and queer film culture and to, um, you know, in this case, from the inside, be someone in a position to platform queer creative folk, some of whom are just uh, emerging, others more established and others historical. Uh, it, it just brings me great joy always to be in a, a really queer, festive environment and, of course, being a passionate cinephile, I couldn't really be too much happier when you uh, marry all these things together um, and, of course, throw in all sorts of social 
uh, activity around the uh, periphery of it all, and sometimes right at the dead centre of it, as with the, say, opening, closing nights and centrepiece sort of carry on. Uh, it's a very exciting time and a very exciting thing to be in the thick of. That covers a lot of bases for me. I think, I mean, I think you can never underestimate the power that queer film has for for folk, you know, to see themselves on, on the big screen for the first time or even on the little screen, but just on film for the first time is a really affirming, really affirming thing for human beings to have that experience. And being able to provide that experience for people is is really quite special and something that I think you um, you take a lot of thought around doing as we curate the, these experiences for folk. But, you know, people are always coming out. People are always uh, will, are, are coming to a point in their lives and growing up realising that they're part of the LGBTQI community and it's a really important space for them because we don't have a lot of spaces in terms of cultural spaces that we can um, collectively come together and it's the immersive nature that I think queer film festivals have. You know, you, you've got 11 days where you can really squarely root yourself in the centre of international LGBTQIA stories and culture and politics as well and the zeitgeist for queer communities in Australia and around the world. That, that you know, that's a really incredible experience to have. And you do, when you do, as the cinephiles do, um, the the full gamut of the festival when people who really dive in and do the whole thing... You emerge from that feeling like you've been around the world and back and you've just got, you know, three new loves of your life. It's incredible. Yeah, that's one thing that I've always found with the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. You know, I grew up in Melbourne uh, and, you know, when I came out, one of the first things I did was go to the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and being in a theatre surrounded by people that you're in a community with uh, is really, really special. Um, so tell us about this year's program. Sure. Well, it's uh, themed, uh, rewind, too fast forward. This is um, uh, to speak to uh, our ubiquity across time and space as queer people. We have always been here. We've, um, we're always going to be. Across every culture, every you know, ever since all of us, all of us humankind emerged from the primordial soup, there have been queers, and um, and how and how, <laughs> and uh, it's very important that uh, at a time right now when our very existence is somewhat contested by some fringe elements in our society, that we speak to that, and one of the ways we can do that is to share the fact that we've been uh, documented on film. Uh, for a very long time and in all manner of ways and, and ways that show uh, our, our evolution, the trajectories and, um, of our identities emerging, solidifying, further evolving uh, in all manner of different cultural contexts and frameworks. And it's tremendously exciting to, to have an opportunity here to steep people in that history, the better that they know themselves, the struggles that have been fought and are being fought today, and, and therefore head into the future the stronger and richer for that knowledge. I feel like that theme, Rewind to Fast Forward, really beds into the zeitgeist at the moment, which we, we really wanted to do. We had a long conversation about together. We came up with this theming together around you know, what it was looking like and what the environment was like for, for queer folk in Australia, but internationally as well. And just, you know, wanted to we wanted to respond to the backlash that is going on at the moment, especially for gender diverse folk. Um, 
you know, it's been something like five years since the World Health Organization, de, you know, depathologized being gender diverse. And, you know, as Human Rights Watch aptly predicted at the time, it, was going to, it would have a liberating effect worldwide, which it has. But it's also had an incredible... We're, we're now in the thick of backlash, you know. We've got... There's a record number of anti-LGBTQI bills up across the United States of America. We've got, you know, anti-queer actions happening at home in Australia. Our drag community has had a lot of aggression locally here with the drag story time kerfuffle and a lot of nonsense, you know, a lot of nonsense Mm. saying that, you know, gender diverse people have, you know, suddenly just popped up in the last five years. And we wanted to, you know demonstrate, as Sarisa kind of demonstrate that through the film canon that we've always been here, but also envision and a future and because and, any any wonderful future, any good future will have respect and um, kindness towards an understanding for LGBTQI people. That's a little bit of my interpretation of the theme. Yeah, I mean, that's how I interpreted the theme as well, because if you unpick a lot of the arguments from these, you know, fringe groups, you know, these arguments we've heard before and again and again and again, and they've ultimately been unsuccessful because if, you know, the one que- the one thing that the queer community is, um, is a strong one and, you know, it persists. Um, and I note that you We're have not going some anywhere. really... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I note that you have some really fantastic uh, retrospective screenings in the program, East West, East Palace, West Palace, Chocolate Babies, um, and this title is my favourite. It is not the homosexual who is perverse. It is the society in which he lives. Um, and you good. also have... But it's, it's better it's in a, the original German, Stewie. Yeah. Can you do it? Do you know... Uh, not off the top of my head, uh, 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 but it is an amazing film and a landmark title in uh, le- in gay liberation, queer liberation mm. movements. Um, yeah, by the great Rosa von Pronheim, who is still yeah. a very active mischief maker. I think now in his early eighties or so. Oh, um, you know, massively prolific filmmaker. But this is a, a, a film um, that um, not just a snapshot of life in Berlin in the early seventies, but also just a, a film that, uh, well, actually at the time it was very controversial, even amongst some queer folk who. Uh, some folk re- resented the suggestions that uh, queer folk might like to avoid heteronormativity, or at least mirroring it. Just um, mm. and and yeah, he's very much against the debourgeoisification uh, of uh, queer folk. Um, so uh, against that, no, for, for it for the debourgeois. Yeah, it's difficult with these negatives, and you know, probably again <laughs> sounds better in the original German. Anyway, people should see that film. Mm. And there's also uh, another great retrospective screening of the Australian film Head On. 25 years old, Stewie. Feel old? Oh, wow. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) That film sent so many men gay in Australia. Like if there was a catalyst, it was was head on. But but it also speaks to the the power of seeing yourself on the screen because I remember being a young gay boy in the Melbourne suburbs and seeing that and seeing Melbourne on screen, it was groundbreaking. Such a powerful portrait of it, you know, and a Greek, very Melbourne, Greek Australian, you know, um, young man living a hot mess life that so many, I think so many men can still identify with that kind of, uh, if you, if you've not seen head on, go and go and watch it. It is a really important, um, Christos Tolkis uh, interpreted from his first, um, major book, 
wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. From Loaded. Yep. Loaded. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's a filmic interpretation of of Loaded, and um, it's just a really strong, powerful. Um, portrait of Melbourne and it just rocked the socks off everybody well, of the day yeah. and it still does like it's high mm, energy it's um, very high energy fantastic film yeah and the, and Paul Capsis yes. is so wonderful in that film will yeah. Paul show up who knows who knows I hope so yeah well he's we, we know he has a, an appointment on stage uh, what, the same run as MQFF with Lacage Fall, but just uh, in case he doesn't, we're screening the original film of Lacage Fall as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> which, of course, inspired The Birdcage, also a very popular film in its time and subsequently. And that's on our rooftop cinema on top of the Victorian Pride Centre. We have an outdoor cinema as well. I, I was going to make a, a note of that because one really fantastic thing flipping through the program is that it's the festival is quite literally spread across the city. Uh, you've got screenings at the Kino, at the Capitol Theatre, Rooftop Cinema, Cinema Nova on one side of the river, the Jam Factory on the other side of the river. It's really fantastic to see the festival everywhere. And opening and closing at the Astor, which mm. uh, yep. is a, a rewind uh, in its own way too because many an opening night uh, party was held there in the past and I have fond recollections and blurry memories of a few of those fond I remember one flash mob uh, at the Astor Theatre one opening night to Don't Stop Believing. <laughs> right, right. I had yes. nothing to do with that, Stewie. <laughs> Um, One question I did want to ask, and I know it probably gets asked a lot whenever, you know, the queer film festival rolls around, but nowadays we have a lot of really big, wonderful films screening as part of general international film festivals like MIFF or the Sydney Film Festival. Um, So why is it still important that we still have the queer film festival? Why is it still important that these films... Uh, get played in a queer environment. I know you're asking this just as a purely rhetorical question. Yes. I mean, you literally wrote the book on this subject, Stewie. So, um, uh, look, it's about community, isn't it? And it's about um, uh, community getting to know itself better in some instances too, not just gathering together amongst uh, people you already know, but getting a more expansive sense of who this LGBTIQA plus community is and can be and might be in future because I think we're going to keep expanding. I'm calling that already. That plus isn't there for no reason. Yeah. It's um, And it's really important that we get to uh, see one another, be amongst one another, debrief with one another have a little drinky with one another, go and see some more films with one another. And um, I think, you know, sure, you can hang out with other people at uh, other screenings, but this particular framework, this context, is, is cru- it's crucial. Mm. It's bringing community together and um, strengthening bonds and unity, and we need a, a spot of unity at the moment. It's such a substantial proportion of the population as well, you know, this kind of... Yeah. notion that queer folk, the LGBTQI community, some kind of small, fringe, tiny little loud minority, you know, it's like we're talking about mm. 15, 16, 18% of the population and an expanding number when we're looking at, you know, the liberation now that is happening in gender diversity for young people who are, you know, more and more people are allowed to be part of the community now than older generations and are coming out a lot earlier. It's an expanding, not contracting part of society. And it does deserve it. We have our own cultures and those cultures need to be, 
investigated and and documented and um, you know celebrated as well. Different parts of those cultures need joy, and there's vast difference and diversity amongst the LGBTQIA plus community as well. We're not <clears throat> some homo- we're not homogenized either. There's it's intersectional within all of those different let you know words in that acronym as mm. well. So there's a lot to service. There's a lot to put on. So you know it, it deserves a festival of this scale just purely because <laughs> of its size, community size. And, and then there's also just people who are. Um, new or questioning, uh, new new to the community, want to find a way in and know that this will be yep. a safe environment and they will find mm. kindred spirits. Adjacent folk too. We love the adjacent. We do love the queer adjacent folk. Um, yeah, they are many in number and are ever-expanding. And too. loved. Other than playing films, what else does the MQFF do? So obviously there's lots of films happening, but I know that there's a few other mm. fun events that you have planned. We've got speed dating um, yep. with Scout Boxhall, if you know who that is. Hilarious yeah, Scout's comedians. fantastic. They are yep. coming in to do um, speed dating with us down at the Victorian Pride Centre just before one of the rooftop screenings. Which just was- quickly, a few years ago I did speed dating. Before I'm, I'm married now, but also um, at one time I did speed dating and... Uh, one couple of uh, gay men left within five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fast movers. This yeah, is... they, they dated once and then they were off. <laughs> oh, I love it. This is, this is you know... There's very, you know, it's full gamut of the queer community as well. So it's it, you might you might find a romantic interest, you might find your new queer best friend, you might create, find yep. your new film best friend as well at speed dating. So that's down at the Victorian Pride Centre as part of our free events and public programs. Um, we've got um, queer film trivia with um, the incredible Dina Curie, who's going to be uh, Frock Hudson by drag yep. name, who will be um, dressed up to the nines as John Waters Divine. So could you imagine doing film trivia with John Waters Divine? Head on down. That's at the Victorian Pride Centre as well. Um, It's a Girl Thing is on the second Saturday of the festival. We've got a raft of, you know, we've got a really great women's space, um, queer women's space in in conjunction with a whole heap of screenings at the Capitol. That's a free event along there in line with a lot of screenings. There's panels, there's talks, there's Q&As with film directors. Yeah, and we've even got a filmmaking masterclass from Goran Stilevsky. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we'll be giving the Victorian people their Victorian premiere of Housekeeping for Beginners and its director, whose ascent is quickly turning stratospheric, will be delivering a masterclass. It's free, free. We've got an industry day event happening as well where uh, emerging and interested types can just get in the thick of um, amongst some established and also up-and-coming film folk Mm. and... um, uh, just help themselves to great big dollops of wisdom being served by people like uh, Lisa Rose from Mardi Gras Film Festival or yep. established filmmakers like Tony Ayres and up-and-comers like the incredible Alice Mayo McKay, who at 18 is already on to her fifth yeah. feature film and we're screening her third and fourth, Satranic Panic and Tea Blockers. What have I done with my life? What, what, <laughs> what am I doing with mine? I feel so lazy. Yeah. Um, there are a few bunch of other films. We are running out of time, but I wanted to quickly plug a few films that I have seen that um, I note are fantastic. One is the documentary Orlando, My Political Biography, which mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a documentary like that. 
Well, more before. sort of an essay film, even yeah. though it doesn't quite do justice to how playful it is at interrogating um, the idea of uh, other Orlandos, um, of queering an already canonical queer classic, whether in literary terms or filmic terms. Mm. It's uh, such a, a fascinating film by such a, a fascinating figure as well, um, Paul Preciado. It's a really interesting interview yeah. um, with him in the new issue of Senses of Cinema I've just clocked. Yep. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You you liked it too, Stewie? Oh, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, really, really great. Um, and another one that I really loved was Lost Boys, uh, which is French, mm. I believe. Yes, French film uh, set in a youth detention centre where two boys fall in love. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a story that um, you think might be told a little more often, actually. I'm sure such yeah. scenarios happen with some frequency mm. out there in the world. It's more sensitive yeah. and kind than you suspect on the cover as mm. well, that one. Like I thought, it, you know, it wasn't what I was expecting to see yeah. in that film. It was a really gentle, beautiful film, I thought. Do we, do we say tender? Tender. Tender. <laughs> a tender prison film. Yeah. What right, else do we... So the Melbourne Queer Film Festival opens this Thursday. Uh, please head to mqff.com.au for session times. There's a lot playing across Melbourne and there is something for everyone. Uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Now to another film festival. This year, the Screen Studies program at the University of South Australia, full disclosure, where I work, presented the Emerging Screen Critics Program, a collaboration between the Adelaide Film Festival and UniSA, with the participation of students and mentors from UniSA, the University of Adelaide and Flinders University. We have two participants in this year's program joining us tonight, Will Singleton. Hi, Will. Hello. And Sid Christie. Hi, Sid. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, So thank you both for being here. And I'm really excited to hear about your experiences and the films you watched. Uh, Let's turn to one film that will also be screening as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, and that is Andrew Hayes' All of Us Strangers. Uh, Andrew Hay also directed Weekend and 45 Years. One night in his near-empty tower block in contemporary London, Adam, the incredible Andrew Scott, also known as the Sexy Priest from Fleabag, has a chance encounter with a mysterious neighbour, Harry, after son's Paul Meskel, which punctures the rhythm of his everyday life. As a relationship develops between them, Adam is preoccupied with memories of the past and finds himself drawn back to the suburban town where he grew up and the childhood home where his parents, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, appear to be living just as they were on the day they died 30 years before. So, Sid, you watched All of Us Strangers. What did you think? Yeah, no, I did. I thought it was incredible. I just got goosebumps listening to that back again. Yeah, um, yeah it's a pretty heartbreaking watch, full disclosure. Um, I brought my partner along to 
help me out for that one because it's a heavy watch. Um, but no, it's a it's a beautiful film. Um, loosely based on the 1987 Japanese film uh, novella *Strangers* by Tachi Yamada. Um, but you can tell that it was a really personal film for Hay. A lot of the um, scenes were filmed in the his childhood home. Yes. Uh, which I'm not sure if you're aware, but yeah, yeah. it's a it's a really um, personal film. Yeah, one thing that I I find with um, Andrew Hay's work, and particularly this film, um, is that it it is a very queer, melancholic experience. And there's a lot of films that we see. Um, I think over the last year or so where there's a lot of queer nuance to the film where they really get that queer experience, I think, of loneliness and changing levels of loneliness or sort of um, as he ages. Mm. Um, Cerise, you also saw I did. Um, uh, All of Us Strangers. I did. And for me, there's life before this film and life after it. And <laughs> yes. um yeah, uh, it's really, really stuck with me. And Sid, I'm really interested to have heard that you found it so affecting too, because I did wonder how it would be for younger generations, um, simply because yeah. it 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 does speak to how somebody um, relates to a generation above them. And I don't want to go too much into spoiler territory, but it, there's a, such a profundity to the melancholy in this film. Um, mm. And it's stuck with me ever since. I, I was I was really very very moved. Like uh, like nothing has um, nothing's quite had that effect on me that I can think of for for some years. And it's it's yeah, it's really really stuck with me. I think it always will. In fact, and if if anything, mm. it has has every chance of becoming only more profound in its in in what it signifies and and uh, and its emotional affectiveness. It's, uh, I think it's an extraordinary film. Mm. Um, Sid, mm. um, Sid, what did you think of the performances? Yeah, um, the performances were phenomenal. If Andrew Scott doesn't get an Oscar nomination or something, <laughs> yes. I'll be I'll be outraged. Uh, but yeah, the the chemistry between Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal was palpable. Um, yeah. And yeah, as you were saying before. Um, it's a really interesting insight into like intergenerational relationships uh, in the queer community. Um, you know, it does touch on the experience of growing up gay in the eighties, um, like with the AIDS epidemic and, and being told, you know, like you're going to die. Um, and, and, and then the differing of experiences now for younger, younger generations, um, like with Paul Mescal's character being being younger and, and, and identifying as queer rather than gay. Um, but I think uh, it, it does touch on the loneliness of, of queerness in, in heteronormative family structures in a way that is personal for, for all queer people. I think mm. that kind of um, supersedes generations. Yeah. Yeah. There's that uh, conversation between um, uh, Adam Scott's character to his father, um, uh, Jamie Bell, um, and of course Adam Scott, um, Andrew Scott. Sorry, um, is older than uh, Jamie Bell, and so we have this older gay man talking to a younger version of his now deceased father, and 
you know, there's, I just give, does give me goosebumps that conversation of like, why didn't you come into my room when I was crying at night? Um, yeah. And, and every year there's an Oscars hill that I die on in terms of who <laughs> deserves to get nominated. And this year it's Andrew Scott. It um, is yeah. really incredible. Well, Paul Mezcal's already in, in the running for After Sun, I expect. So can, can he be in the running for two films too? I wonder. No, he, he was nominated. Oh, that's already nominated. been and gone. Yeah, no? he was already uh, nominated. Yeah. Oh, I haven't even seen who's been nominated. Um, <laughs> so that, that's been announced, has it? Oh, good. Yep. Well, that's deserved yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Uh, he's astonishingly good in this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just talking about that relationship between both Adam Scott um, and Paul Meskell, the the chemistry, as you say, is palpable. There's that great conversation um, between the two where they discuss the labels of gay and queer and, uh, you know, the dynamics of the differences of those terms. Um, and I know there's something about um, his script, which doesn't feel preachy, it doesn't feel like a queer theory lesson. It feels very natural, which I think is what sucks you in uh, with the the narrative. Mm, absolutely. Um, so All of Us Strangers is screening as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which opens this Thursday. Uh, Sid, do you have any final thoughts on the film as to why people should see it? Um, I would just say go watch it, uh, but don't go alone. <laughs> yes. uh, come with a friend, come with a partner. Uh, it, it's a beautiful story uh, and transcends, you know, a traditional ghost story. Um, and yeah. in a way that it, it will leave a very lasting impression for you, that's for sure. I made the mistake of doing a double bill of All of Us Strangers and then I immediately saw Anatomy of a Fool hmm. oh, afterwards, God. which was two and a half hours, and I was quite damaged. <laughs> yeah, that's an exhausting them. combo. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Now to another film screening in MQFF's program, Monster, directed by Hirokazu Koreeda, whose 2018 film Shop- Shoplifters won the Palm d'Or. In Monster, Minatu, uh, played by Soya Kurokawa, a young boy alarms his widowed mother by beginning to act in a strange and self-destructive way. And it appears his teacher has a case to answer for bullying him. Gossip and um, and inference quickly become accepted as fact and institutions cover themselves by empty acts of apology. But things are not as simple as they seem at first. This story, told from multiple perspectives, has inevitably drawn comparisons with Akira Kurosawa's 1950 masterpiece, Rashomon, with the superlative script by Yuji Sakamoto winning Best Screenplay at Cannes. The world is a complicated place, and if we choose to make it less complicated by seeing some people as monsters, we do so at a cost. Creator's strongly humanist vision refuses melodrama to produce emotions that are so affecting because of their restraint. This is aided by an eloquent final uh, score by the late 
great. Uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto. So, Will, you saw Monster and reviewed it for uh, City Mag. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, hi. Um, well, first of all, the film, I went in completely blind. I had just known a bit about Kareda's other work and was curious to see what he had in store next. And I was really delighted by the whole experience. It starts out like as a thriller mystery and it like really sets you up to, you know, find out where things are going. And then it takes a, a tonal shift in the middle that I found really compelling. Um, instead of being super tense, it becomes quite endearing as it focuses on the children of the story and uh, their experiences amongst adolescence and school. And I just thought, fortunately, it's the longest, you know, part of the film mm-hmm. out of the three perspectives that are told. And I'm really glad that was the case because I found these two characters particularly to be the most interesting and, well, impactful. Yeah, so there's another young boy in the classroom with Minato who is bullied as well by the rest of the class. And it's this changing dynamic between the two of the boys, um, which is the focus. Um, And I loved as well how, you know, this... Rashomon-style narrative of these multiple perspectives kind of really plays with that theme of monster where you have multiple characters who are monstrous or, you know, potentially the villains in some way, and then when you get their perspective, it gives a new insight into particular events. Uh, And, um, yeah, there's that restraint uh, towards the end. There was There's a great scene... Uh, between the boy and the school principal when they're playing on various brass instruments. I think one of them is a French horn. Um, I mean, that's an incredible, I mean, such a simple scene, uh, but it's quite powerful. Cerise, you've obviously uh, watched the film because it's in your program. Um, Why did you choose Monster? Oh, um, there's a couple of reasons, and one or two of them are actually in, extrinsic to the film's own qualities. I, I was actually very keen to land the trifecta of the uh, the most prestigiously awarded queer films of the year, and this won the Queer Palm at Cannes. Yep. And so I wanted the Teddy Award winners at Berlin um, and got that with all the colours of the world between black and white, as well as the uh, documentary Teddy, which was, as we've already discussed, Orlando, my political biography. Uh, and then the Venice Queer Lion, which is Goran Stalevsky's Housekeeping for Beginners. So part of it was just wanting to try to bed that in as a, a feature here on in in the festival to have those um, garlanded films. Um, but, of course, I, I wouldn't have bothered if the film hadn't been so wonderful too and so touching um, because Coriada is such a fantastic filmmaker. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm not across his entire Over, but I don't know if he's worked with queer material before, though I do remember very fondly uh, a magic realist film of his called Air Doll, where the lead character was a a doll which had some degree of sentience and was agency and trying to figure its place in the world out. Um, But, yeah, I, I was just very impressed with this. I didn't know that it was going to have that Rashomon uh, effect uh, approach to the storytelling. Um, And it's really not until it's closing, it's sort of its last gasp that the Mm. the full 
magnitude of um, uh, of, of the, the 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 genius of his direction lands. We really fully tie all the pieces of this narrative together. Um, it's it's so beautifully done. It's so such an elegant. You know, I'd, I'd hesitate to call this a puzzle film because that sort of diminishes mm. it and makes it sound like an academic exercise. But it is a kind of a puzzle, and you don't know how it all how it all makes sense until the very mm. end. And it's very satisfying how it lands. It is interesting that the two the main films we're talking about tonight, Monster and All of Us Strangers, both have that final moment to the film that just completely unravels what you thought of the film leading up to that moment. Um, Will, I want to get your thought on this because you obviously saw it at the Adelaide Film Festival um, and it's also screening as part of a queer film festival. I wonder what that um, difference in context could bring because watching this and watching this kind of queer dynamic, you know, stew and and develop in the film, um, I found really fascinating and unexpected um, in how it developed. But do you reckon sort of, how do you think that context shifts basically when we're watching this within a Melbourne queer film festival? Well, when it comes to the the second half of the film, it really focuses on, you know, the queer nature and identity of these children. I think if you went in watching it at a queer festival, you might be kind of anticipating that from the get-go. So I I feel like if you want, like, because I saw it at a regular film festival, there was no real incentive going in that it was going to focus on queer people. Mm. So, um, but I think you could go in either way and still have a good time, um, particularly have something to take away from it. I like, I'm really appreciate it being in both as well because it just offers a larger platform for queer people to express themselves and their their struggles and triumphs Mm. as well, to be honest. Yeah. And it is in a similar way, it's a similar experience to all of us strangers where you kind of look back to um, what it means to be a young person and queer and how that manifests um, with other relationships. Um, So Monster is playing in the Melbourne Queer Film Festival's upcoming program. Check the website for session times. Um, Moving on now to another film that played at the Adelaide Film Festival, which is currently screening in theatres, Only the Rivers Flow, uh, directed by Wei Shuzhun. Uh, In 1995, in a rural village in southern China, Decay is in the air and a body is in the water. An old woman's body is found by the river. A homicide detective, Marget, heads up the investigation, working out of a disused cinema and leading a model brigade of singularly uninspired cops. As the plot thickens and the body count increases, it is is clear that we are not dealing with your regular whodunit. Shooting on a film with the low-contrast aesthetic of the sixth generation, Wei Shuzhun gives us a kind of Chinese Twin Peaks where the murder investigation opens the gates of a surreal journey through the often humorous dysfunction that is China at a transitional moment. Uh, Sid, uh, you watched and reviewed Only the Rivers Flow for City Mag. Uh, What did you think? Yeah, I I really enjoyed this one. Um, Similar to Will, 
with Monster, I didn't have any expectations. I read like a three sentence blurb and walked straight in. Um, so I really enjoyed this one. Um, it is a Chinese noir, but it's kind of less concerned with the conventions of a crime genre piece. Um, like who the killer is, is not the film's primary issue. Um, you come to realize at the end, it, it doesn't even matter. Um, it's much more concern in the cultural and social context of 1990s Southern China. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting, especially since I didn't actually know a whole lot about um, the social context and kind of political climate um, in which it was set. Uh, focuses a lot on uh, themes of like collective glory and and this culture of collectivism that is really pervasive in the communities. Um, it there's just this like overbearing um, sense of existential despair among all of the characters um, as their their private lives start to to emerge. Um, yeah, um, performances were really good. Uh, Zhu Yulong, who plays Ma Zay, uh, he was incredible. Uh, quite a, a subtle performance. Um, but no, it, w- it was a great film. Um, and shot on 16mm film stock, so it, it feels like it's a product of the 90s. Mm. It, it, it is quite nostalgic. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Fantastic. Um, I always love those whodunits where they become less of a whodunit and more of a why done it. Um, it's always good. Uh, so Only the Rivers Flow is currently screening in theatres. Uh, you can check it out now. And finally, uh, one very small film that you both caught at the Adelaide Film Festival um, is by a very small director, Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, and his film Poor Things. Um, It does promise to be very popular over the summer uh, and it's opening Boxing Day. Um, So Lanthimos will be known for many people, uh, uh, director of Dogtooth, The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer, and the favourite. So you both saw it. Um, Just quickly, Will, what did you think of Poor Things? Well, I I really loved it. I like, I wasn't following exactly every piece of it, but um, as a whole, it just feels so full and rich and vibrant of different ideas and like ideas around gender and gender stereotypes and what you expect from a certain person and yeah I think there's a lot to take away from it and um yeah definitely recommend people to see it yep Sid what did you think of poor things yeah um I thought it was a great watch the performances were really really good uh Mark Ruffalo is hilarious as this kind of uh fragile man with a uh, yeah, a very delicate male ego, um, and Emma Stone is is incredible in it. Um, it it kind of feels like a very explicit uh, kind of Alice in Wonderland as this woman kind of moves through the world and starts to become more secure in her own identity as a person and and like becoming who she is. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a really good feminist piece. Um, and and bonkers 
Yeah, <laughs> we love a good bonkers film. Um, so, yes, so Poor Things uh, is opening on Boxing Day. So do keep an eye out for it later in the year. Um, Cerise, we have a few minutes left mm. um, and I don't want to waste you because you're in the studio uh, with us. Um, final thoughts on the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. What has it been like stepping into the role as the program director? Um, many things. Uh, <laughs> it, it feels very much like an honour and a, a privilege and uh, a certain amount of pressure attached to wanting to do right by a quite expansive community that itself doesn't always realise just how expansive it is uh, and wanting to try to reach out to all of the people in that community to encourage them not just to stay in their own lane but to uh, see films that... Um, uh, more correspond or correlate to other identities within that group because I know people can sometimes be uh, a little uh, reluctant to mm. go out of their own sort of little comfort zone, which is a phrase I've always loathed, but there it is, I dropped mm. it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been a, a huge logistical challenge. It's, it's, it's an order of magnitude or two bigger than festivals I've worked on before. You know, I've, I've founded or co-founded a couple in my time and I've been a co-curator of the Melbourne Cinematheque for some time. That's I mean, that's a bigger undertaking, sort of like a cross between the two, the, between the Czech and Slovak Film Festival, multiplied by the level of coordination required to put a Cinematheque calendar together a year ahead of it actually emerging. Some Something, you know, what, one of those raised to the order of the other. Um, it's just a lot, Stewie. It's really quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a little delirious as we speak right now, which no. might be abundantly apparent. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, oh, too kind. Good luck for, good luck for Thursday, opening night. Uh, it'll be a wonderful party. Uh, so tonight we chatted with the CEO of Melbourne Queer Film Festival, David Martin-Harris, and our wonderful friend and program director of MQFF, Cerise Howard. Thank you, Cerise, for Thank joining you, us. Dewey. And being my co-host. Pleasure. Uh, we also spoke with critics Sid Christie. Thank you, Sid. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And Will Singleton. Thank you. It's lovely talking to you all. Um, and we reviewed All of Us Strangers and Monster. Both are screening as part of the upcoming Melbourne Queer Film Festival, which opens this Thursday. Tech session times online at mqff.com.au. We also reviewed Only the Rivers Flow, which is in cinemas now, and Poor Things, uh, very briefly, which is released on Boxing Day. So do look out for that later in the year. As always, you can listen back to tonight's episode on the Triple R website, rrr.org.au, or subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast. Thank you to Lou Lin for her producing support, to Kelsey Pettifer for the socials. Big thank you to Rachel for saving the day and panelling and getting us on air. Uh, obviously, thank you to Flick for organising everything behind the scenes. Um, you have been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. It's a good night from us, but stay tuned as Jace is up next with Local and or General. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 